We're looking forward to hearing the word of the Lord this morning. Brother Randy Ruiz is back with us, and uh, he's one of our favorite guests here at Oak Creek. I, I, um, <laughs> Wash my mouth with soap. All right. At Discover Church. Amen. At Discover Church. Well, this is the first time you've been to Discover Church, all right? So uh, welcome for the very first time, Brother Randy Ruiz, as he comes to share God's word at Discover Church this morning. Bless you, my friend. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, because I, the reason I'm laughing is because I struggled. I had to write notes to myself on my thing. It's Discover Church, not Oak Creek Assembly. For those of us that have been here for a long time. Hey, listen, would you stand? And uh, I wanted to read the word of God. So let's stand for the reading of the word. And as you're standing, turn to the person next to you. Just smile and say, you are in the right place at the right time for your miracle. You are in the right place at the right time for your miracle. Whether it's Oak Creek Assembly or Discover, you're in the right place at the right time for your miracle. I want to speak to you on wounds that heal or going from bruised to blessed and then get you in this altar for a time with the Lord. 2 Kings, the 20th chapter, the 35th through the 37th verse, reading from the New King James. And uh, follow along as I read, because this story I read in my private study, and it just rocked my world. But it's one of those stories that, you know, you kind of look at, at first and say, what in the world does that have to do with anything? And then the Holy Spirit just begins to unpack it for you. Well, let's read together. Now a certain man of the sons of the prophets said to his neighbor by the word of the Lord, Strike me, please. And the man refused to strike him. Then he said to him, Because you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, surely as soon as you depart from me, a lion shall kill you. And as soon as he left him, a lion found him and killed him. I told the other services, I think I probably would have stayed with him. And he found another man and said, strike me, please. So the man struck him. Notice the wording, inflicting a wound. Verse 38, then the prophet departed and waited for the king by the road and disguised himself with a bandage over his eyes. Go down to verse 43. So the king of Israel went to his house, sullen and displeased, and he came to Samaria. One translation says, heavy under conviction. Heavy under conviction. You may be seated. Now, friends, this is one of those random stories in the Bible that really do not have any lead up to it. God does not explain uh, to us why it's there. He basically leaves it up to the reader to glean from it the hidden diamonds that are laying embedded in the text. So if you will allow me to dig a couple of those diamonds out, I believe it will really speak to your heart. And for many of you, it'll be a prophetic message. God's about to confirm some things for you. Now in the text, we are told that God instructs a prophet. The word prophet simply means a teller of the truth. And he instructs the prophet to go and find somebody with a sword, maybe a soldier, we don't know, and ask that person to strike them with the sword. And the Bible says the first man looks at him and says, no, I'm not going to do it. I mean, imagine if someone walked up to you on the street, maybe you're coming out of the grocery store, and they walk up to you and say, thus saith the Lord, punch me in the face. I know, Pastor John probably would do it, but he said, well, thus saith the Lord, you know. But it's so random. 
And the first man says, no, I'm sorry, I'm not going to do it. And so, uh, so, so very random. I remember when my parents would spank me, my dad always showed me the belt first. In a Puerto Rican house, there's no such thing as timeout. That's a white family thing. No, no, in a Puerto Rican house, it's time's up. How many say amen? And so he would look at me and he would hold the belt in front of me and he'd say, mijo, you asked for this. I'd say, no, I didn't. Can we discuss it? No, there's no discussion. You asked for this. Well, what do you mean I asked for it? Well, when you didn't do what I told you to do, you asked for this, now you're going to get it. And he was always willing to give it. Now, this prophet is standing there, and he's saying, strike me, hit me, thus saith the Lord, hit me with a sword, cut me hard. And the first guy says, no, I won't do it. That's rather random. I don't understand why you would ask me to do that. So he says, okay, I will release a lion to kill you out of the forest and eat you. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened, because he refused to be obedient to the Lord. And the very moment that he is now, the lion comes out, the prophet immediately turns to go and find another man, and he says, strike me, hit me, thus saith the Lord. And that man immediately, I want you to get a mental picture, he immediately pulls his sword, and it's almost like he's saying, okay, where do you want it? How, how hard do you want me to hit you? Maybe he heard about the first guy, and he said, I don't want to be lunch for a lion. So he hits him. Notice the wording, inflicting a wound. Now, this story is amazing because the story teaches us that when you see things in the Bible and in your personal life that you do not understand, always remember to pause and take a long look at the situation because there are lessons to be learned in the things you don't understand. And you have to learn to see things from God's perspective, from God's vantage point. And you have to develop what we call a biblical worldview. A biblical worldview is we believe the Bible is the inherent word of God. Every dot, every jot, every tittle is inspired by God for your learning, for your growing. And you have to develop a biblical worldview. You, you cause everything in your life, your marriage, your finances, the way you raise your children, your entertainment, everything is filtered first through a biblical worldview. And that is why you need to be involved in the Christian education of our church. That you need to have a small group. You need to be around people that will help you develop a biblical worldview. And the first thing I want you to see in this story is the prophet found another man rather quickly to accomplish God's plan. Friend, if you don't have an appetite for your call and your place and what God has told you to do, or the life that God has given you, if you don't take advantage of the opportunities and the open doors and the times when God says, I want you to do something for me, if you decide not to do it because you don't understand why God would put you in a situation or why God would ask this of you, please learn from this story, God always has somebody else that he can raise up. He always has another man or another woman God says, if you don't learn to obey me, I always have another man, another woman waiting in the wings who I will rise up 
and their obedience will allow them to see great things manifest in their life because I am going to fulfill my plan. I'm going to fulfill my purpose. And I would like to use you, but I don't have to use you. I could use someone else. And it all depends upon, will you obey me even in the things you don't understand? Will you obey me? Even in the things you don't understand. Well, God, why am I in this place? Well, Lord, I don't understand why I've got this sickness. Well, Lord, why am I on this job? I'm the only Christian here. Will you obey me even in the things you don't understand? And the Bible says the second man struck him. And again, notice the text, wounding him. He is visibly wounded. The prophet now is bleeding, and he has to have bandages placed over his eyes. And then the Lord instructs the prophet, after he has been bandaged and he has been uh, dealt with, he's dealing with his wounds, to go stand on the corner because the king is coming. King Ahab, wicked King Ahab, is coming with his entourage down the road, and he wants him standing on that corner. And now that he has been wounded, and now that he has been beaten on. He now has something about him that qualifies him to give the message to the most powerful man in the nation. Listen, God was teaching the prophet and using him as an illustrated sermon for the entire church. Friends, don't miss this. In this instance, the prophet had to go through the wounding process or the king would have not stopped and listened to him. God would give him a word, but God also knew he was not qualified, positioned, and prepared to give the word until he had been wounded, until he had been hurt, until he had surrendered, until he had lived through some tears and some bleeding and some suffering and some emotional pain. It would be the bandages and the wounds that would get the king's attention. Please understand there were many other people I can only imagine standing on that street corner waiting for the king to go by. There was probably a, a great parade of people. If it wasn't for the bandages, the wounds, the king would have just passed by. Listen, so many times we think it's our talent that will bring us before great people. And the world has a mentality that says, no, it's our education or it's our own abilities. It's, it's my strategies that will get the world's attention, and certainly that helps, and I'm not against it, your education, we all need it, and you need to have as much education as you possibly can. But when it really comes down to it, do you know what I have learned in 35 years of ministry? We speak 49 weeks a year all over the country. Do you know what I've learned, gang? I've learned in 35 years of ministry, the sermons that reach people and touch people the most are not the ones that I fill with intellectual thoughts or filled with facts and theology and doctrine. Those are important, don't get me wrong. And we need them, they are foundational truths that we build our life upon. But I have found in my ministry, it's the sermons that have come out of my wounding, my hurts, my times when I have been cut and bruised. And I have walked the message of the valley of the shadow of death. Those sermons have a weight and an anointing that give me the authority from heaven because those messages have been birthed through the personal Gethsemane. There is a heaviness behind the words that can pierce through the heart. 
to a lost generation where talent and education and smart ideas and strategies can't reach a hardened sinner, can't reach a hardened culture. We are dealing with a culture now with no morals, ethics, or integrity. Constantly swimming upstream. Confusion in the gender roles, confusion in a generation. And I mean here in this situation, we are talking about wicked King Ahab, who was married to wicked Queen Jezebel. Nobody could reach them except a man with a word from the Lord who has been wounded, he has been bruised, he has been hurt. And the very thing that we run away from is what God was using to reach the king. The very thing that you run away from is what God's going to use to reach a culture in Milwaukee and the surrounding area. The things that we run away from, God says, no, no, don't run away from it. I want you to grasp it. My mind immediately goes to Moses. Moses, what is that in your hand? A rod, a stick. Throw it down, and the stick becomes a snake. And Moses ran from it. In my study, I was laughing because I would run too. I don't like snakes. I don't like spiders. If there's a spider in my house, don't call me. Call my wife. I'm telling you. The other day, a spider came down from the, you know, from the visor in the car. We're driving, and we almost went to heaven. I tell you right now. And she reached over and grabbed it like that and smashed it. And I said, you're such a stud. You're awesome. She wiped it on me, you know. But Moses was running from the snake. And the Holy Spirit whispered, mijo, that's not funny because the Holy Spirit's Puerto Rican. I always tell you that. No, no, you see the snake during biblical times for Egypt represented the supernatural. And it was going to take a supernatural move of God to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt. And Moses was running from the supernatural. He was running from his calling because he was too bruised in his own eyes, too damaged. And the Lord said, grab it by the tail. Now listen, I'm not a snake handler. I, I, I don't like snakes, but I've watched enough Animal Planet to know that you don't grab a snake by the tail because it'll turn around and bite you. You grab it by the head. But God was telling Moses, I already got my hand on the head of the snake. I'm already directing the miracle. You just have to be obedient and go for a ride. Is there anybody here willing to be obedient and go for a ride this year? Oh, so you're getting things that the other services didn't get because now I got time. Yeah, I know. And what he was running from is what God was going to use. Listen, I know we want a perfect life. We want no wounds. We want no hurts. We want beautiful families. We want no issues in our life. And when it does come, we sulk, we sour, we give up, and we fail to understand that the anointing comes out of crushing. The anointing is birthed in Gethsemane. The anointing is nothing more than the personality of the Holy Spirit. You receive it at salvation. We are Trinitarian. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The three in one. The Holy Spirit has a personality. You would correctly refer to him as he. 
His personality is the anointing. It is the anointing that makes the difference. It is the anointing that breaks the yokes of bondage. It is the anointing that sets the captive free. It is the anointing that opens a blinded eye. It is the anointing that raises the dead. It is the anointing, the personality of the Holy Spirit that you need functioning in your life. When you say, Pastor, that was anointed, what you are saying is the same power that invaded the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea and raised to life again the three-day dead body of the Lamb of God came from within you and rested upon you, and we didn't see you. We saw Jesus. You want to see me at my best, see me when I'm preaching. Because the hidden man is being revealed through the anointing. You want to see Pastor Brooks. You want to see Pastor John. You want to see Pastor Armand. You want to see Stephanie at our best. See us when we're in ministry. Because the hidden man is being proclaimed. It is the anointing of the Holy Spirit. If you believe that, somebody shout amen. And that anointing comes through Gethsemane. It's when you've been crushed. And the prophet was wise enough to have an attitude that said, God, if this is what it takes, the wounds and the hurts for me to help somebody else because of what I have been through, if this is what it takes to get a greater anointing, if this is what it takes to get the attention of a culture, then God, use my wounds to bring healing and help to somebody else. Friends, please understand this deep biblical truth. God will always use your life's wounds to speak to other hurting people. Your wounds carry a message. It doesn't matter how hard they are. It doesn't matter how wicked they are. It doesn't matter how drunk they are. It doesn't matter how high they are. It doesn't matter how many lovers they had, like the woman at the well. Jesus said, where is your husband? She says, I don't have one. He said, that's right, you've had five, and the one you're with now is not your husband. Wounds that heal. It doesn't matter how many they've had. When they encounter someone like you and like me who is speaking a word from the Lord and that person speaking the word has been qualified and quantified by our own wounds and our own failures and our own heartache in our life and we have been set free and delivered by the power of God's grace and the power of God's mercy. Friends, there is something about that that carries the weight of the anointing that has the ability to set your family free, that has the ability to set your co-worker free, that has the ability to bring revival. Just like the woman at the well, she became the first evangelist in the book of John. She said, come and hear this man. Could he be the Messiah? She is wounded, she is broken, and she is used. Called of God. Oh, you're called of God, but are you available? Well, Randy, I have a valid excuse not to be a good dad or a good mom. Because I've never had a good dad or a good mom, so now I've got a valid excuse. Well, you can look at it that way. Or you can stand up in just a moment and say, I have been wounded, but I'm taking my bruises to Jesus. And he's taken my deep emotional scars to the cross. And he covered me with his grace. And he's covered me with his mercy. 
And his precious blood that was spilled at Calvary's tree has covered my sin and my shame. And he brought me healing and deliverance. And when he came out of that tomb three days later, he brought the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And when I repented, he adopted me as his own. And now I am a joint heir with Christ, cut from the same cloth of Jeremiah and Enoch and Job. And because I am a joint heir with Christ, I could stand and, and God's promises recorded in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. The promise is, therefore, if any man be in Christ, come on, say it with me. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things pass away, and behold, all things become new again. And because of that, I can break the cycle of every generational curse that has been brought upon me. And my children and future generations can live a life of victory and anointing because what the devil has meant for naught, my Jesus has stepped in and brought to good. If you believe that, I want you to clap your hands and praise him for the healing power of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Now you could testify that a godly heritage can be brought out of your wounds and your wounds can be used to heal and not destroy. Oh, come on, somebody. If you believe what I'm preaching, somebody shout amen. amen. Well, Randy, you just don't understand how bad I've been hurt. No, you don't understand that now that you have been hurt and attacked and wounded, you could be highly effective in leadership. See, we think our leaders have to be perfect, you know. You look up here every Sunday and, and you see us either in the pulpit or leading worship or you see us leading teams and leading ministry and working in children's ministries and you say, oh, they're just so perfect. There's nothing wrong with their marriage. There's nothing wrong with their families. They don't have anything like I'm going through. Well, if they did, at least they would know how to get through it. No, God can't use me. When the reality is the vast majority of true leaders and those who have been in ministry quite a long time, we've been wounded and bruised and deeply hurt. But we've made it through. And we fought the good fight of faith. And we've learned how to pray through, pray through. See, that's what they're not teaching anymore. When I was a child, they taught us how to pray through. You pray through the sickness. You pray through the hurt. You pray through the pain. You pray through until you get an answer. You wait to hear the voice of God. God is not interested in a monologue where you do all the talking. He wants you to wait in the presence of God so that you can have a dialogue with the master. And you learn to pray through. And we've stared down the enemy. I'm here to tell you, I can speak for every staff member in this place. I haven't asked their permission, but I'm going to tell you, I can speak for every single one of them. That we've all been through the valley. We've all had battles. We've all been bruised. We've all been hurt. There's not a single person in this church that has not been through a struggle. There's not a single one who's not been through a battle. And God wants you to know he can use that wound, that scar, that attack, the pain of that divorce. He can use that sickness. Well, pastor, if I never got sick, then I wouldn't be this way. Listen, God didn't bring you that sickness. That sickness is a result of the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. When sin entered into the picture, God never intended that to come. And you need to bring it to Jesus. God says, I can take that sickness. I can use that wound 
And if God allowed those things to come into your life, if he allowed the sword to hit you, it's only so he can give you a greater ability to communicate to someone else. And you can say, I went through it. I know what you're going through. And my Jesus is a friend that will stick closer than a brother. And if you will hold on to the never-changing hand of the Galilean, he will walk you through this thing. He will be with you come hell or high water. Heaven and earth may pass away, but Jesus will never leave you or forsake you. And they'll say, how do you know? Because I've been there. God says, I can use that wound. And sometimes we think that, well, I'm so wounded, I can't lead. Do you know that Satan has the ability to create a train of thought that so fits your way of thinking, you suppose it comes to your own line of reasoning and these thoughts will come? And suddenly the thoughts will come, well, you can't lead. Look how beaten you are. Look how bruised you are. And you say, I can't even lead myself. How in the world could I join the praise team? How in the world could I be involved with Pastor Dan and, and do a production? I, how could I even work in the parking lot? Or, I'm so bruised and depressed. How could God use me? Look right here. Because that's what he does. The Bible says he takes broken vessels. God spoke to Moses from a burning bush, basically saying, Moses, it has taken 40 years and many woundings and struggles and difficulties, but you're finally in the place that I could use you. You've been on the backside of the desert long enough. The place where you are standing is holy ground. Now, granted, the place was not just a two-by-four piece of real estate. Wherever God is and where he manifests his presence, that place will be made holy because of the essence of who God is. But the place is also speaking about Moses' position. He is at a place of reception and ready to listen. He has to hear from God to bring 2.5 million Jews out of bondage into the promises of God. He has to hear from God. He's at a place of reception and ready to listen. Has your woundings got you to the point that you're at a place of reception and ready to listen? It's amazing that he says the same thing to Joshua. Because Joshua has to do in 48 hours what Moses couldn't do in 40 years. And if you still don't believe me that God uses broken people, when you get to heaven, go look up Jonah. <laughs> the wrong way prophet. Or Samson, the he-man with the she-weakness. Or Gideon hiding in a wine press. And time with family, tell a Barak. And all the ones in Hebrews, the 11th chapter, the Westminster Abbey of Scripture, the Hall of Heroes. But talk about wounds that heal. What about Ruth the Moabitess? The Moabites were so evil that God says they're not allowed no longer in the temple. The Moabites, I don't have time to get into the lineage of who the Moabites were, but the lineage of the Moabites begins with Lot and one of his daughters when the Lord destroys Sodom and Gomorrah Lot literally is taken out with his wife and kids. The wife turns to a pillar of salt. The two daughters think the whole world is destroyed. They are angry, and they get their father drunk, and they have physical relations with their dad. One daughter gives birth to a son, names him Moab. The second daughter gives birth to a son and names him Amnon. Now we got the Moabites and the Ammonites, the two most evil tribes against the children of Israel. Years later, there's a famine in the land, and a young family 
headed up by a man named Elimelech and his wife Naomi, they leave Bethlehem of Judea. By the way, Bethlehem of Judea means house of bread. They leave the house of bread and they go searching for their own answers. Never go searching for your own answers. Because they end up in Moab, a place where men go to die. And the two sons, Malon and Chilion, they marry Moabite women, which is fairly predictable. And one daughter is named Orpha, and the other daughter-in-law is named Ruthie. And the famine kills the men. And Naomi turns to her daughter-in-laws and says, I have no more, no more husbands to give you. We're talking about wounds that heal. Bruised. Damaged. She said, you choose which way you're going to go. Well, Orpha chooses to go back to the Moabites, which is amazing because the lineage of the Moabites, they're so evil. It's, the lineage is filled with fornication. It's filled with adultery. It's filled with drug addiction, alcoholism, incest. She goes back to that. But Ruth not knowing what hardship or heartache lay ahead of her in a foreign land. She chooses to cling to what was left of her new family rather than returning to the old. And she turns to her mother-in-law and she says those amazing words in Ruth chapter 1 verse 16. She says, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you from me. She is ready to receive a new life. And God the Father says, that's good enough for me, baby girl. That's good enough for me. I will now take you out of your bruising. I will now take you out of your wounds. And I will put you into the lineage of the Messiah because that's what God does. Ruth had prepared herself to step out of faith and see what the God of Israel had to offer. When her future grandson, he said it in Psalm 34 and 8, David said she was ready to taste and see that the Lord is good. She was ready to go from bruised to blessed. Bruised to blessed. Is there anybody here that is ready right now to go from bruised to blessed? Well, you didn't hear me. I said, is there anybody here right now that is ready to go from bruised to blessed? Oh, come on, Discover Church. You haven't caught it yet. I said, is there anybody here by the power of the Holy Spirit and the crimson blood of Jesus Christ that by faith you are willing to go from bruised to blessed? If that's you, somebody clap your hands and praise him that the power of God still delivers. He still sets free. Are you prepared to allow the Spirit of God to change your status quo? Are you truly ready for the Lord to do something new in your life? Who says you know what is next for your life? Who says God can't use you in a dramatic, wholly unexpected way? Who says he can't lead you into a season of life and ministry beyond anything you've ever experienced? Who is the limiting factor here? Is it God? Or are we capable of closing our hearts to what he wants to do in and through our lives? Listen, many times you don't choose which sword comes your way. You don't choose which wounds come into your life. 
Sometimes they, it, things come out of nowhere, and you say, where in the world did that come from? And it'll hit you, an unexpected sickness. Maybe a layoff from your job. Where in the world did that come from? And some things just hit you, and they come into your life, and you don't understand it. You may not choose the sword that hits you, but you do choose your response to it. You do choose your response to it. And you can become an alcoholic or you can become an overcomer. You can become bitter and sour and angry and unforgiving and mad at God or mad at the church and mad at the Bible. Or you could say the Lord gives and the Lord takes away and he's going to work it out for my good. And in the end, my family and I will be standing together in heaven. So like Job said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall go. But blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh, I know they're playing behind me, but nothing's going on now, so I'm going to take a little more time. You don't choose which sword comes your way. Let me tell you about two women that had choices. They didn't choose the sword, but they chose the response. I've got to give this to you, even though we're running out of time. In 1 Samuel 4, there's a story of a woman, the daughter-in-law of Eli, the high priest. She's married to Eli's son, Phineas. She's in the process of giving birth. And while she's in the labor and delivery room, a servant came in. She's giving birth. She's struggling. And the servant says, the Ark of the Covenant has been stolen by the Philistines. She hears the news that the presence of God, the Ark of God, the favor of God has been stolen. Then they tell her, not only that, but your father-in-law, the high priest, the one who stands before God, for the nation of Israel, he is now dead. And we no longer have anyone interceding on our behalf. This is prior to Acts, the second chapter in the Holy Spirit. And when he heard the Ark of the Covenant was stolen, he fell over while he's sitting on a chair. He hit a rock with his head and he broke his neck. And he is dead. And even worse news, your husband has been killed in the battle. And she's struggling to give birth. Remember, you don't choose what sword or wounds that come into your life, but you do choose the response. The Bible says she's overcome with her birth pains. And the nursemaid says, you've given birth to a son. She's clinging to life. She's about to pass from this life to the next. What would you like to name your child? And she says, name him Ichabod, for the glory has departed. The name Ichabod means the glory has departed. She said, because the pain that we're going through in this present generation, there's no more joy in my life. There's no more, there's no more joy in my marriage, my family, my nation. There's no more happiness. There's no more hope. So just name the child Ichabod or what I'm presently going through. The glory's departed. Listen to me, church. She let her present wound speak to her future generation. Do not ever allow your present negative wounds to name your future. It's easy to get into a bad time sometimes, but you don't have to allow what's happening right now to name your future. She could have very easily said, the glory will come again. My God is going to do it again. But instead, she gave in to the overwhelming things that she allowed her present negative circumstances to prophesy, and she literally pushed that on her son. 
Can you imagine when that child, as he's growing, he was a constant reminder to the family, it's your fault. Look what you've done. There's another story. It's in 1 Chronicles chapter 2, verse 16. There's a family miracle listed that you've got to see. They're listing out the family of King David. They start with his father, Jesse, then his brothers. And in verse 16, David's sisters are listed, and it gives us their names. The sisters were Zerah and Abigail. Then the scripture goes on to tell us Zerah's three sons were Abishai, Joab, and Yashil. Now, it's very important for you to realize that names in the Bible carry great significance. They would name a child to mark an event, thus Ichabod, the glory has departed. Now, the name Zerah in Hebrew means my wounds, my tribulation, my pain. And the commentaries I read said that it was widely believed there were visible, horrible scars and wounds on her face and body. They don't know why, but they named her Zerah. Maybe she was burned as a child. Maybe she was injured. We don't know. But they named her my wounds, my afflictions, my, my pain. But something amazing happened through this woman because her offspring did not receive a transfer of the issues of her life. And I can prove it because when you look at who her three sons were, it really is truly amazing. One son was Joab. Joab became the four-star general, a commander of the army of Israel under King David. The son of my wounds became a four-star general. And Joab stood side by side with his great warrior king, Uncle David, in battle, helping David to lead the armies of Israel to the greatest victories and the expansion of the nation of Israel even to this day. The next son was Abishai. In 2 Samuel 23, it tells us David was advanced in years. That means he is getting quite old. And the Bible says he is exhausted in battle. And he's fighting a giant. David is the only one listed up to this point to have killed a giant, Goliath. And this giant he is fighting wants to take David out because he kills their champion. And he knocks David to the ground. He's about to cut his head off. When suddenly across the battlefield, they hear a war cry, and this giant looks up, and he sees a man running towards him. The man was Abishai. The son of my wounds was running to aid his king. That should make you want to shout. The son of my wounds was coming into the battlefield. If his mother had transferred wounds, hurt, depression, self-pity, and fear and worry, he would have never entered the battle. But when King David, Uncle King David, it's a family member, not only his king, but a family member. He's laying on the ground. He's about to be taken out. I was reading this in the office. Some tears began to roll as the Holy Spirit said, Son, this is telling you that no matter what, you go through with your family, whether it be your spiritual family or your physical family, you never stop fighting for your family. You always stand up and fight for your family. Every man, hear me. By the blood of Jesus, you hear me. If the devil attacks your wife, you take it personal. If the devil comes after your children, you take it personal. If the devil comes after your pastor, you take it personal. And you run into the battle and you get between the giant that is coming and you get between your parents family member. And that day, Abishai kills that giant. And the Lord brought about a great victory. And David and Abishai are the only two listed as giant killers. The third is Ashiel. 
Scripture says he was the fastest runner in all of Israel. He ran like the wind. He was the prize athlete. So here is a woman whose name means my wounds, my, my scars, my, my hurts, my pains. She's carried the scars and wounds, but instead of letting them produce bitterness and pain and sorrow and depression and curse and bondage, low self-esteem and no confidence in her children, she raised three champions for God. Don't tell me you can't do it in this culture. Don't tell me we can't raise future preachers and teachers in our junior high and elementary and high school. Don't tell me that our babies over there, are, they have no chance. No, no, no. They are the children of the almighty God. And I know you've been wounded if you're a single mom or a single dad, but you can raise champions for Jesus Christ if you believe and bring your wounds to him. In closing, my question to you is this. What will your wounds produce? Will they produce bitterness and unbelief and addiction, rebellion, excuses and resentment? What will they produce? And it's never too late. It doesn't matter if your children are 35, 45 years old. It's never too late. The Apostle Paul had intellect, had education, he was gifted. But to my amazement, he said, I don't glory in any of that. I glory in my infirmities. I glory in my wounds. He was beaten with rods. He was stoned. He was beaten with a cat of nine tails. He was shipwrecked, snake bit. And yet when he asked God to take the pain away, God said, I'll never take it away. My grace is sufficient. In your weakness, I will be made strong. And we know from the Bible that God always is working on our behalf. But the Bible also says we will be hit by hard times. I wish I could tell you, you won't, but you will be hit by hard times. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. John 16, 33. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. Friends, there are two ways you can deal with it this morning. You can either let them break you, or you can trust that God will use them for something good. God will leave the choice to you. He leaves the choice to you. Your worst day can lead you to your best opportunities for growth in ministry. And God never wants you to waste a hurt. He doesn't want you just to trudge through it. He wants you to mature through it. Who else is better to pray for someone that's under an addiction than someone who's been through that addiction and the power of God has set them free? Who else to speak to a husband and wife that are hurting and their marriage is on the rocks than a couple that have been through it and they said, we're still standing by the power of God. The devil tried to destroy us, but we came to the altars of grace and we got counsel from the pastors and now God is bringing a victory. Most people can bring good out of good, but only God can bring good out of bad. And in 2 Corinthians 1.4, it says he comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others when they are troubled. That's called redemptive suffering. It's what Jesus did for you and me. Listen, he didn't have to go to the cross. He was the sinless, flawless lamb of God. But he knew the only way for you to get to heaven is if he said yes in the Garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, but thy will. Isaiah said he was bruised for your transgressions, but he was crushed for the iniquities. The chastisement that brought us our peace was laid upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. 
I don't know what you're going through right now. But I am certain God can use it for good if you will bring it to him. Friends, I really want God to use me, and I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not going to go out during a lightning storm and say, Lord, hit me with lightning so I could preach better. That's not what I'm saying. Or I'm not going to go out here on the highway and so a bus can roll over my legs so I can preach better. I'm not volunteering for any of that. But what I am saying is, since all of us are in this place and on our way to heaven, since we're all fighting the battles, I know some of you are looking at me and you're saying, well, Brother Randy, I'm sanctified. I, I don't have any scars. Yes, you do. You just learn how to hide them better than the others. Would you just raise your hands and say, Lord, I'm going to choose today to bring you my wounds, to bring you my brokenness, and you use them to set my family free. You use it, Lord, my blood, sweat, and tears to set my children free. Take me as I am for your glory in all my inadequacies, in all my brokenness, and use me for your glory. If you're ready for that, then at the count of three, I want you to stand and lift your hands and say, here I am, Lord. Will you use me? Will you anoint me? Will you send me? At the count of three, you stand. One, don't miss them, gang. Two, three, right now, right now, right now. Lord, your word is still yea and amen. What you did for Ruth, Moses, Jonah and Gideon, Jeremiah, Elijah and Elisha, you can do for every single one of us. What kind of preacher would I be if I preach a message like this and don't give you an opportunity to step out in faith and run to the altars of God and bring him everything that you are. To count of three, I'm going to ask you to turn to the person next to you and say, if you want to go forward and pray for miracles, I'll go with you so you don't have to go alone. By the way, I'm preaching part two of this message tonight at six o'clock. The title of the message, Looking Beyond Miracles to See Jesus. Looking Beyond Miracles to See Jesus. It's okay, they're coming already. Just come. I don't even have to count. Well, I'm going to just so you all move. At the count of three, one, two, three. Just come right now, right now, right now, right now. Come from the balcony. Come from the galleries. Husbands, look at your wife and say, come on, we need to go pray for a miracle. We've been through it. But God's going to use our marriage. God's going to use our family. Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I shall go, but blessed be the name of the Lord. Bring your grandchildren. I'm not going to pass down any negative things to my grandchildren. No, 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 no. My grandchildren are coming into the anointing. My grandchildren are coming into their purpose. My grandchildren are coming under the blood of Jesus. Come on, Mike, sing it, bro. Maybe you are here and you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And you heard a message this morning that has pierced your heart. The Bible said if you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose again on the third day, you shall be saved. And it's by faith through grace. 
We're going to pray a prayer. I'm going to ask our lead pastor to come. Pastor Jerry's going to lead us in a prayer of benediction and prayer of healing. And I'm going to ask him to lead us in a prayer of salvation. Then if you would ask Christ in your life as your Lord and Savior, you go ahead and repeat with our pastor. And by faith, God will take a broken vessel. Ashes to gold, man. Ashes to gold. And today is the day of new beginnings. So as pastor's coming, can we just lift our hands and begin to thank the Lord? Come on, thank you right now. Thank you right now. From deep inside of your own hearts, in these next few moments, just make these words your own. If you want to get right with God, this is the moment. His grace is here. His mercy is here. The tug of the Holy Spirit is here. And you're responding to the one that created you, that loves you, that's got a plan for your life. The one that will take all that the enemy is meant for harm and bad, turn it around for good, and put purpose into your life like you've never experienced before. Shut yourself in with God. He'll hear you as you pray. Just say, Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for coming to this world on a mission to save the lost. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for carrying my sin. I'm so glad that on the third day you showed your power over Satan, over sin, over hell and the grave. I believe that you're alive and well. You're at the right hand of God the Father. And I invite you into my life. Forgive me of all my past. Let this be the time of a brand new beginning. I am yours. And you are mine. I will pray for you. Father, I pray for each one. Lord, that has made that decision this morning that from this moment on, they want to live by a new standard. Therefore, they're doing the U-turn in the road called repentance. Father, I pray that you'll guide them and direct them and bless them. Lord, as they every day spend some time with you, you long to spend time with them and to empty your, your life into them. Lord, I pray they find themselves in the Word for a few moments every day. Lord, I pray that they would reach out to other believers and want to be part of serving God together with another family of God. Lord, I pray for each one that has gone through difficult and hard and unexplainable times in their life. Lord, you're about to take all of these things and turn them around and, and make a blessing not only to their lives, but a blessing through them to many others. May the blessing of the Lord be upon you. Lord, I pray for healing and restoration of homes and families and relationships. What the enemy is meant for, for harm, once again, Lord, you're turning it all around for good. And I pray your blessing upon them. Lord, I pray that this day would be a day that they put just kind of a mark on the calendar and say, this is the day that from this day forth, I'm going to walk with God. From this day forward, 
rather than responding to my wounds and hurts in a negative way, I'm going to turn it all around. I'm going to rub it in the devil's face. What you meant for my despise and what you meant for my demise, I'm turning around with God to make it a blessing to others. Thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing. Bless their day now. Protect them on the roads. And I pray that tonight as we gather back together at 6 o'clock, Lord, it be a wonderful evening of refreshing in your spirit. For we thank you for all of these things. We ask it all in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God's best. Have a wonderful day in the Lord. We love you. See you at 6 o'clock.